Hi, I'm Caitlin. Hi, I'm Rebecca. We're not from Memphis, but we love it. Welcome to Memphis Type History, the podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Memphis Type History, the podcast. This is Caitlin. I'm Rebecca. And today we're going to tell you about some of our favorite little pieces of hotel history. Mm-hmm. I think we each picked a specific hotel to talk about, even though there are a ton of hotels in Memphis with great history. Uh, and this could even be a series if we decided to do this, where we each pick a hotel. Um, today I picked the Peabody, which is a very well-known uh, landmark in Memphis. And uh, a little history on it is the very first Peabody opened on the corner of Main and Monroe. And that was 1869. So the Peabody that we know now on Union didn't exist there. That's not where it started. Okay. This first hotel cost $60,000 to build. That's a steal. <laughs> yeah, but at that time, I mean, that was high class. It had its gorgeous ballroom. Wow. You could spend $4 a night, and that included at least one meal in the first class dining room. So it was fancy, but it was only $4 a night. What year again? Tell me. 1869. Okay. So yeah, that's a lot for back then. <laughs> okay. $4 a night. Yeah. Wow. $4. $4. The new one that we know now uh, was built in on September, or at least open September 1st, 1925. It was newer and grander. This is a time when we hear about the ducks, right? So we all know that the Peabody has a ducks. It's their icon or five ducks. Even I noticed there's a Peabody in Little Rock, Arkansas, and their logo are the ducks. But it started in Memphis. And the ducks were, some people say, and even the hotel will say, in the 1930s, uh, the general manager, Frank Schutt, C, it was S-C-H-U-T-T. I go with Schutt whatever. Or you, Schutt. Whatever you want to say, I, 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 it's, I right in, it's correct enough. There is a little video on the Peabody's website, and they say his name, but even then I couldn't understand if they were saying Schutt or Schutt. Or Schutt. <laughs> and I don't trust my own English, even though it's the only language I know right now. Um, <laughs> so Frank Schutt... Had a, So he went on a weekend hunting trip to Arkansas and he came back with his friends and they thought, oh, this would be so amusing and funny if we put three of our live English call duck decoys in the hotel fountain. And they did. And the guest loved it. So Aww. obviously, yeah. So it kind of became a thing, putting ducks. They collected five mallard ducks. And since then... You can find mallard ducks in the fountain today. Uh, obviously not the same mallard ducks. They do <laughs> rotate them. They free the ducks and then they bring a new. At oh. least that's what people at the, at the Peabody have said. You know what? For some reason, I thought all of the ducks were descendants of the original ducks. Is that just like an urban Possible. legend I heard and believed? Like Peabody mystique that I thought was true? It wouldn't put it past me for the Peabody to do something that intentional. But I haven't, that's the first time I have heard that. Okay. So that's something to look into for sure. So in 1940, 
a bellman volunteered to care for these ducks. And he was a former Ringling Brothers circus trainer, animal trainer. So they needed a, I mean, this guy can like tame lions and tame ducks. Yeah, he was Ringling Brothers circus animal trainer. At least for sure we know he's a circus animal trainer. His name is Edward Pembroke. There might be some more Ringling Brothers trainers looking for jobs soon because that circus is closing. Oh, I know. Yeah. You know, I never even experienced one of those. I would do, do it. Do you know do you know where I experienced it? In the pyramid. Yeah. At the pyramid. Whoa. Look at that yeah. little connection. Yeah. All right. That's cool. So you were about to tell me something really exciting. I could see it in your eyes. About Pembroke. Yes, Edward Pembroke. He could train animals, could do it well. So he was given the position of duck master. We all know that there's duck master there. And this is the only position in the world. So there's nobody out there who can claim themselves to be a duck master. Although uh, there have been celebrities who have assumed the role of honorary duck master. And I listed a few that I know personally. There were were a lot that I just didn't know, so I didn't even list them. But uh, some of my favorites were Molly Ringwald. Kevin Bacon, because he's everywhere, Emeril Lagasse, Patrick Swayze, and Oprah Winfrey. You know all of those celebrities personally? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to think I do, but no. I know of them. (laughs) I know who they are. Wow. Those are a lot. Those are very cool. You know who all those people are. I do. I actually do know that list of people. That's why I picked those people. I was like, if I know them, then everybody's got to know them. (laughs) So, oh, But here's the other thing that I didn't realize is that the possible there's a possibility that the custom of keeping the ducks in the lobby started before the 1930s. What? Yeah. And that's only because there's a postcard dated from before 1915 that showcased the ducks playing in the fountain. Whoa. So what is the real story here? So some people believe that the ducks actually started when the hotel opened which was in that what was it 1869 like the ducks have been a part of the hotel since then but so it would have been a different guy that would have been hunting and see and yeah like, that that would mean that the story of the decoy wasn't where it actually started that would have just meant oh. that he was playing along or something and um, or possibly the ducks didn't move to the new hotel and and then he started that tradition back up with the decoys. Hmm. Interesting. But Peabody celebrates their anniversary, the duck anniversary with the 1930s. And I'm trying to see the date. Uh, on December 3rd, 2008, the hotel unveiled a new duck palace. And for anybody who's seen the duck palace, it's on the rooftop. Uh, this date celebrated the 75th anniversary of their duck tradition. And I'm going to go ahead and explain what that tradition is, just in case you don't know. So I'm going to explain it from my personal view, because I've been there a lot (laughs) to see these ducks. Even Uh though I don't like crowds, I still am entertained by seeing the ducks sometimes. Well, if you get there early enough, you can sit on the floor with the children up front, and you don't even know there's a crowd. Yeah, I brought my little girl there. (laughs) She probably wouldn't remember because she was so little. And I was so curious to see if she'd like go out and touch the ducks. And she didn't. She was just so excited and just watch them. Aw. Yeah, I need to take her back out there. At 11 o'clock, the ducks leave their duck palace on, from the rooftop. 
they go down the elevator. On the bottom floor where the fountain is, a red carpet is rolled out. And when the elevators come downstairs, they walk the red carpet into the fountain and they stay there and play until five o'clock when the duck master brings them back out and calls them to go back up the elevator and go back to their duck palace. And this is a nice duck palace on this date, December 3rd, 2008, when they renovated the, the new duck palace. It cost about 200000 to build that. So yeah, it's it costs more than our car and our house <laughs> together. <laughs> this is a nice duck palace. Uh, yeah, so that basically sums up the experience of the ducks. The Peabody went through a rough patch, and they closed their doors in the 70s. And it was a Bells family. Uh, you probably recognize the name Bells if you saw it. They stepped in during the auction to save it from the wrecking ball, and they purchased Ooh. it for $400,000. And in it was five years and $25 million later. <laughs> That's how much time and money it spent to renovate it. Wow. So you can imagine it's gorgeous. They kept, and they wanted to save that hotel because you can't find the details of architecture and the amount of just quality of, of that architecture anymore. It's beautiful. You walk in and you just feel different. It's, yeah, it's just, it's really beautiful. Yeah, and they have that front open area that people go to just to have a drink or just to lounge and and talk. People that aren't even staying at the hotel. It's open for the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do that. We just go get an appetizer, go get a drink. Yeah. Because it's such it's a, a great environment. Bar. Even just, I mean, yeah, it's all in the piano and the whole, mm -hmm. I mean, the whole thing. There's a piano. Sometimes it's self-playing. Sometimes there's a pianist there. Uh, during Christmas, they have that giant tree. It's gorgeous right in the center. Yeah. And I like going up the floor and, like, looking over mm -hmm. the rail at everyone down there having their drinks and their apps. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great place to people yeah. watch. There's a hallway on that second floor. If you walk down it, you will see photographs of what the Peabody looked like when it first opened. And those are really nice to look at. They also have fun. People love to take pictures in those old photo booths or the old phone mm -hmm. booths. Mm -hmm. I see that often. Because of the Bells family, we can now we now get to see the beauty of the Peabody. And thanks, Bells family. Yeah, and it's a place that has hosted so many celebrities and presidents. So many presidents have uh, stayed the night there, and then some of my favorite celebrities are michael jackson which i'm always excited about <laughs> and for how many times did he stay there didn't say i didn't see that anywhere oh. but i'm just happy to know that he stayed at the peabody and frank sinatra yeah. just shows how how long ago yeah. this place was <laughs> so if anyone wants to get you like the ultimate gift they could find out what room michael jackson stayed in and book that for you for a night maybe yeah maybe one thing i left out is what was on that lot of the Peabody that we see now that was replaced by the Peabody? Yeah, what was it? Didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. It was another hotel. And it was called the oh. Francioli Hotel. 
Francioli. Just Aww. naturally need to say it that way. And that one was four floors, opened in 1883. Wow. And the hotel rooms had private bathrooms. Wow, that's pretty swanky for that time. Yeah, it was pretty, um, yeah. So they tore it down to build the new Peabody back when they were upgrading. Mm -hmm. Well, it got bought out by other hotels, I'm pretty certain, but maybe not a lot. It stayed at the Francioli Hotel, but certainly it was demolished to create the new Peabody for sure. And the old Peabody uh, was also demolished so that obviously isn't anything now and yeah that's what we've learned of the peabody all right well do you want to hear about the Pontotoc hotel i definitely do all right the Pontotoc hotel is at 69 Pontotoc avenue downtown memphis it is a european style hotel built out of rusticated concrete block constructed in 1906 so I thought we might have some architecture people listening into this. So I did look up what rusticated concrete block was because it there was it was made a point of in the description of the building. So I thought it must be important. And I learned that this type of building material first appeared around the late 1800s. I'm sorry, 1880s in the U.S. after a dramatic shift in architectural style away from the Victorian era into the modern era that carried into the early 20th century. Hmm. Builders and architects started experimenting with this kind of cheaper material because the cost of lumber and brick was rising. Natural stone was harder to come by, and concrete blocks were cheaper and lighter than natural stone and cheaper and stronger than brick. So that's how it came to be constructed of rusticated concrete blocks. Oh, that looks great. Originally, customers were railroad and riverboat travelers. The hotel had 18 bedrooms and nine bathrooms for them, plus Turkish baths. <laughs> what is that? Which I have yeah. actually, hmm, I have actually been to a Turkish bath in Istanbul. Um, what is it? What is the experience of a Turkish bath? You, so this experience is a. It was like, f- kind of for touristy purposes. It was in an old bathhouse, historic bathhouse, and they still kind of would do all the services and stuff like the old way. So I went, like the true tourist. They bathe you, and they do. All right. <laughs> so you go in. And you get completely free from all the trappings of modern life and anything that would cover you up. And you soak in various types of baths at various temperatures. And then whenever you're ready to get clean, nur, <laughs> you uh, go see a lady and she scrubs you and she puts bubbles all over you and yeah, cleans you right up, scrubs you all down huh. and then you rinse off and yeah. And then you... Uh, you recommend it? Yeah, it's great. I've actually... Th- you, then you... You mean you can get massages and stuff too. So like when you're done in the baths, you go and they give you like like a pajama type thing or a robe or like sandals, you know, something to wear around. And then you can go to like get a massage, that kind of stuff. So I went and had a massage and it was fantastic. Yeah, very stuff. relaxing. And it was... Yeah. And I, you know, I wanted to do it because it was kind of like... I mean, it, it was touristy, mm-hmm. right? But, like, it's something that really was Turkish, did exist back in the day. And they do still have bathhouses, just not, like, they're much more, more like sauna type. Like, you could soak and do a sauna, but, like, it's not, like, there's no, like, special 
bathing you or whatever, or like, you know, the bubbles and all this and the scrubs and massages and stuff. So they had Turkish baths in the Pontotoc Hotel. And by 1920, though, the Pontotoc was one of the area's better known and most elegant brothels. It started with that Turkish bath, didn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It might have. It might have. All right. So... Some of these names and things were a little bit confusing, so I hope I have the timeline and the owner, the line of ownership correct, but I welcome anyone who knows better to please shoot us an email, memphistypehistorygmail.com, or get in touch with us via voicemail uh, using SpeakPipe on our website at memphistypehistory.com slash hotels1, the number one, in c- for any corrections. All right, so this is what I've got. In 1929, Dion... Dionysus, Dionysus, mm. Dan, okay. Tuliatus Sr. bought the Pontotoc and lived there with his family until 1969. One of his kids was actually even born there, literally in the Pontotoc. His other brother was born in a hospital, which isn't as interesting, except that I want to mention him because his name was Plato, <laughs> and I think that's awesome. It is. Uh, the current owner, Lee Davis, which I'll talk about more later, sent an email to historic-memphis.com, which is back online, guys. So we've had some people contact us about it. It is back. Historic-memphis.com is back. She sent an email to them with a little story about the Greek family that made their home there. George Sr. told me the story of how he and Plato would take a wagon down South Main to the train station to haul back grapes that his father used to make wine. Every year, George Sr. shared a boxcar of grapes with a few Greek friends, and the boys would make several trips with their wagon to collect his share of grapes. Many trips, as George Jr. stated. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Can you imagine, like, taking wagons of grapes down South Main? <laughs> wow, that's a lot of grapes. Yeah. So apparently it was a major gathering place for Greeks in Memphis to socialize and such. And vaudeville actors and actresses also stayed there often to rest up during shows at various theaters, including hmm. the Orpheum. It's a good place. Yeah. Tuliatis' son, George, founded the Front Street Theater in 1958. And I kind of wonder how much his acting and directing career was influenced by the hotel and all the actors that stayed there. You think so? Yeah, like if you're around a bunch of actors and stuff, maybe that kind of makes you want to be a director, be involved in theater. Yeah, I can see that. Do you want to hear some tidbits of history, rumor, and lore? Of course. One of Memphis's most famous people of history, Mexican artist, and I, you might know how to say this, uh, Dionicio Rodriguez lived there in the 1930s while he sculpted the Crystal Shrine Grotto at yes, Memorial Park. that's really cool. Can you say his name for me, please? Yeah, Dionisio Rodriguez. Oh. Say it again. That <laughs> sounded way better than mine. Dionisio Rodriguez. Is that right? Oh, yeah, that sounds Mexican. Yeah, well, that's my background. Yeah, way to do your heritage <laughs> right. Two thumbs up. All right. Uh, Dan Rather once said that the Pontotoc is where Elvis Presley first made love in a CBS Evening wow. News tribute to Elvis in the mid-90s. Dan Rather? Dan Rather's told that fact oh he told it according to dan rather <laughs> that is where elvis presley first made love oh the building the pontotoc is a stop for many local ghost tours although the current owner disputes any tales of rude or scary spirits haunting her she acknowledges 
that there is a lot of history in the building and perhaps some souls might be left behind, but none that cause any trouble or make themselves known. Only one alleged death on the premises is likely. A caretaker caught fire and died in the boiler room in the what? 40s, which is pretty much corroborated by, yeah, and a news report does say that someone that lived like next to the hotel or something, his clothes caught on fire and he burned up. So everyone, like people think that news, anyway, that they're the same person. Oh, okay. So it confirms that he died in the boiler room. Yeah, he just caught on fire in the boiler room. Mm. Mm. But the ghost tour people say that he haunts his former bedroom on the third floor. And they claim on the tour that the daughter of the family who lived there before the Davises, who currently live there, uh, reported seeing spirits on the daily, so they moved. On the daily. I, you know, I could handle seeing spirits, you yeah. know, every now and then. But daily? Oof. Yeah. That would get draining. Yeah, that's pretty... Yeah. So I wonder, um, you know, I wonder I, how that guy caught fire. Go ahead. Sorry. I couldn't find anything more except that he did. I guess because it was in the 40s. Yeah. People were like, ah, we don't have any more questions about this. It you know, there's happened. a, I watched this. What was the, what was the name of that old sister, like mystery show with the white haired guy? And he talked. Unsolved yes, Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. You loved it. <sighs> What if there's an unsolved mystery for mm. Memphis? We need to look at that. And if there is, we can yeah, do Yeah, all the unsolved mysteries I'm of Memphis. I'm going to look after this. Yeah, so if you have an unsolved mystery in Memphis you'd like to share, please do so. With Caitlin's been doing this really well as far as the sneak scope stuff. So take it to Caitlin. Speak pipe is how you can leave us a voicemail. It's on our website. And you can leave us your own message up to three minutes with your Memphis Unsolved Mystery. And if we get enough of them, we can do an episode, you guys. And that would be so yes. fun. All right. So we're getting this. So the hotel is kind of going away now. Uh, now I'm going to talk about post-hotel life right. of the building. At some point, it became the cellar because there was a nightclub on the lower level. And here's what was on the the signage, because Memphis type. Here's some of the type that was uh, outside. Drinking and dancing nightly. Open now, 10 a.m. until. Painted haphazardly on the door. Also, painted on the west wall near the basement door was a rainbow. And on the front door, a sign said, under renovation, for rent. So this is after the brothel days. Oh, yeah. This is after the brothel days, after the Greek days, after the vaudeville days. Now it's drinking and dancing nightly, but also for rent. Okay. So it's just a big party house, essentially. And it kind like of still is. Like a big college dorm, I guess. Yeah. Well, not a college dorm, but there are still parties. So do you want to hear what the club was like inside? It's kind of insane. Please say yes. Okay. okay. Of course. Yes. <laughs> um, so you go in and the hallway into the club was painted blue with flecks of glitter flung everywhere. Inside, <laughs> this like is amazing. Yeah, this is amazing. Inside, the walls were black with accents of day glow orange, blue, and red. Gl that glow, like so it. they glowed in the black light. Mm -hmm. Also glowing were some not so savory posters on the wall. Wait, what kind of posters? Not so savory. Not so, you know, not safe for work style posters. 
Oh, okay. Also for black light? Yeah, they were glowing. They were in the black light. <laughs> Love it. It's my um, kind of place. <laughs> glowing naked people, I guess. Okay. The ceiling was also glittered up. Yes. At the center was a stage and a black and white tile dance floor. And wallflowers could hang out in one of the red vinyl booths that lined the walls. So if I had to describe the interior design of how I understand it, I think it's like that B-52 song pretty much. Love Shack? Yeah, that one. All right. It sounds like Love Shack made into real life with all the and glitter. And a little trippier. Yeah. Yeah. So if we were to walk into the Ponda Talk now, would there be remnants of this party club? Uh, not really, although there are still parties there. So in July 1980, Terry and Lee Davis purchased the building and turned it into their residence and a recording studio. And they became the first non-business residents of South Main's Historic District. They were the first. Wow. Yeah. In fact, they actually got married there, although they're now divorced. Um, inside, it's pretty much still the same as like when it was a hotel, except mm -hmm. that a few walls were torn down uh, in order to build an open two-story garden room. So it, some of, they tore some rooms up, so they have like a two-story garden, like an extra tall room. Um, oh, wow. Many of the hotel room doors are still there with the original brass door numbers. Also... It's kind of interesting to note that when they bought the place, downtown was mostly just abandoned buildings, so it was super quiet when they lived there. Yeah, that's kind of cool. There's like nobody. Yeah. They livened things up, though, with famous Halloween parties that were impossible to get invites to, and they also <laughs> would promote South Main as a good place to be, so they had these, so they still had parties. It's still a party house. Good for them. Promoting South Main. Yeah, and they would promote South Main. By doing things like giving tours in the basement, and they made short films like one called It's Still Main Street that showed <laughs> the insides of all of our famous, beautiful, and abandoned buildings. And funny story, when older men in particular would come to tour the Pontotoc, they would sometimes relive their days patronizing it as they stopped to look around, if you know what I mean. Okay. That's that. That's the Pontotoc, and you can go still. You can still go see the sign. Uh huh. That's a nice sign. Yeah, it's a nice building. It looks really cool. Yeah, it is that nice. rusticated concrete block. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see what it looks like inside. That would be cool. You know, I really wanted to find a picture of the Turkish baths just to see what it was like in there, and I didn't find one. So, if anyone out there has pictures of the interior of the Pontotoc, I'd love to see it. So shoot us an email. Do we have any more thoughts about hotels in Memphis? Nope. Oh, I have a thought. Yeah. If, okay, dear listeners, if you get on our website and leave us a voicemail on SpeakPipe with your hotel, favorite hotel history story or memories of hotels, that will help us pick the next hotels we talk about in this series. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, so you could be part of our podcast if you just go leave us a voicemail. So today's show notes, memphistypehistory.com slash hotels one. That's the number one, keeping things simple. Hotels one. That's the Memphis Type History Hotel info for you. Just two hotels. Uh, remember to go to patreon.com and support us, Memphis Type History. 
That's it, right? That's type history. Yeah, you can get some merch and some behind the scenes stuff. You can get the cutting room floor from this episode, which is all the junk we cut out. And that's a lot of junk. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. Till next week, Memphis. I like your type. You've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. It would mean so much to us if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. Want to be part of Memphis Type History and get behind the scenes content, merch, and more? Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Memphis Type History. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Memphis Type History. Find more Memphis Type History on our blog at memphistypehistory.com, on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as Memphis Type History, and on Twitter at Memphis Type. 